I want to thank you for allowing me to be away to the funeral of Melina Zan and uh, Mom's sister. Appreciate Mike taking the class, and uh, every time we go away, we think about you. And so I want to talk about what this church means to me. And to illustrate how I feel, turn to 1 Thessalonians, if you would. Appreciate John reading from Acts, which tells about the background of the history of this church that he's referring to in 1 Thessalonians. When Paul was in Asia Minor and he was working his way westward, he wanted to go up north and stay in, inland, but he had this vision of a man of Macedonia saying, come over and help us. So when we sing, we've heard the Macedonian call, you wonder, what, what's that talking about? We've heard the Macedonian call. Well, then, when Paul had this Macedonian vision of a man saying, come over to Macedonia, help us, Paul goes over in, into that area, and one of the places he comes to first is Philippi, and that's where he uh, ends up uh, baptizing uh, Lydia, or, or Lydia is baptized. And then, not only that, uh, Paul ends up getting put in jail, and, and then the, the jailer is converted as a result of that. After Paul leaves Philippi, later he goes to Macedonia, when, when, or into uh, Thessalonica. When he comes into Thessalonica, uh, Paul goes into a Jewish synagogue. Now you think about this, what, what would a Jewish synagogue have been like? They would have been practicing the Old Testament, not yet believing that Jesus is the Christ, not understanding that we're now under the new covenant. So Paul would go in and reason with them out of the scriptures showing who Jesus was, that he's the fulfillment of those prophecies and that he is the Christ and that we should believe in him. And what happened is, is kind of similar in a lot of places. Some believe and some don't. And what happens is, is those who don't really have a problem with it. And the reason why those Jews that confronted Paul and really have a problem with him is because they don't want to change their ways. They, they're happy with the same old thing of whatever they've been practicing. They're more interested in preserving what they've always practiced rather than doing what God said. And so think about this. Those who obeyed the gospel in Thessalonica really had to make a decision. There's no riding the fence because you, when you decided to be a Christian in Thessalonica, you were going against your family. You were going against what you have known. You were going against, you're going to be an outcast and you're going to be persecuted, which the Thessalonians did. They hated what uh, Paul was teaching and standing for. So much so that whenever Paul had to leave, he goes into the next town to do his work there in Berea. Now those in Berea in the community, they are more noble. They here in the community, they're, they're ready to search to see whether the scriptures are, 
or what he's saying is so. But then whenever, just when Paul is making some progress, people are listening, they're obeying, they're, they're understanding the gospel, what happens is the people back in uh, Macedonia, I'm sorry, in Thessalonica, they track Paul down. We better go over there and, and, and seek him out and run him out of there or he's going to keep spreading his teaching there. So we gotta, we got to put an end to this is what they think. So Paul has to leave there. I don't know, but if believing what the New Testament said meant that people were going to seek me out and come after me to the point that i got to escape to another town and then they're hunting me down there, would I continue to believe the truth? Would I continue to practice it? So when Paul writes what he's saying back to the Thessalonians, keep that in mind because it'll make a little bit of sense. So in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 2, you can understand why Paul writes these words in 1 Thessalonians 1 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. When Paul thought about the Thessalonians and what they had to give up and the opposition they faced, he left, but they're still there. He's thinking about them. He's praying for them, but he's thankful for them. That Here it was, they gave up their old ways. They gave up. Their idolatrous practice, those that were Gentiles gave up their idolatry, and those that were Jews gave up the Judaism. And so all the things that they gave up, he is so appreciative. And he's thankful that they're now his brethren. And he holds them dear in his heart as he's writing to them. And then you see in verse 3 that not only, it, their obedience to God was not a one-day event. This was not something that they were just trying out for a little bit. It wasn't something, okay, they're baptized, then they walk away and they forget. No. He says, I'm thankful for your work of faith. Well, they must have been doing something. You know, faith and action go pretty close in hand. And I think you see that. The work of faith. Why, why express it that way? Because their faith was active they did something by their you could tell they trusted in God because of what they did how they treated each other he calls it a labor of love there's some things you do because you feel like you have to out of duty and there's other things that are a labor of love you do because you want to you do because you you appreciate what the Lord has done for you so you want to give back and then he talks about their patience of hope you know that endurance Think about the endurance that these Thessalonians had to have to keep on practicing their faith in the middle of that opposition. They had all the reasons to quit. If anybody ever had a reason to try to just stop and walk away, they could have said, you know what? It was a lot easier to stay in my old ways. I'm just going to go back to that and then quit. But yet he says he's thankful for their patience of hope. And it's that hope of knowing what you have in heaven, knowing what is in store for you, that keeps you going whenever it gets hard. 
And in the middle of a trial or difficulty, these brethren were a great source of comfort and joy to Paul. So he says in verse 6, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. When, when, that's kind of an understatement. They received the word in much affliction. There was a lot of opposition. They, they didn't become a Christian because they thought it was going to help them get a better job. They didn't become a Christian because they thought they could network with the church and sell Amway. You know, that, they, didn't, they didn't think that they were going to be a, a member of a church so that they could gain something materially. That when they became a, a member of that church, they did it in spite of all of the difficulty. But they did it with joy. And what that tells me, even though they had a lot of affliction, difficulty, trials, sometimes trials have a, you know, there's a mixed bag. There's ups and downs of life. There's difficulties of life. But when you have those difficulties, you can still have sources of joy. And what that tells me is joy is not mere happiness, the way the world looks at it. Something good happens, people are kind to you, so you're happy that day. You, you have a good day, you're happy. You have a bad day, you're not happy. That's the way the world thinks of happiness. But joy is not dictated by how life is treating you. Joy can be there even when you lose somebody. Joy can be there even whenever you are having a hard time in the midst of trial and difficulty. Because you know you've been associated with the blood of Christ. You've been covered and you've been forgiven. You have fellowship with him. You have fellowship with the brethren. You can have joy even when you're having a bad day. And that's what he's saying here. And these brethren were a joy to him. And that's how I think of you. When I think about you in my prayers, I, I, I feel a lot like the way Paul felt here I'm thankful that you receive the word verse 6 you, you, you don't you don't make you make my job easier whenever I'm teaching because I'm not wrestling thinking oh this brother's not going to take this well uh oh this brother's probably he's going to think I'm aiming that at him or this sister probably thinks Ooh, I don't know. I, we, we just had a discussion about this, so this sister's going to really, t this is going to be kind of touchy. I don't tend to wrestle and tie myself in knots when I'm preparing to speak to you. You make my job easier because I believe you want the truth. I believe you, you just want to hear what God's Word says. And if God's Word means there's an admonition here that I've got to change something, or if it means I need to start doing something I haven't been doing, I'm not worried so much about, okay, I better tiptoe here or be careful. I believe I can just turn to the passage, say what it says, and I believe you'll hear it. That makes it easier. Now, if you weren't that way, I would still need to teach the truth. 
But it sure makes a teacher's job much easier when he doesn't have to sit and say, oh, is this one of those sermons that I'm going to have to pack up after? Is this one of those sermons I'm going to have to wonder, you know, uh, who's going to get mad at me over this one? You know, I, I, I don't sit and have to, have to do it. So that makes it a lot easier. But they received the Word. They cared about what God's Word says. That was important to them. Just teach us the Word and we'll do that. When you have that attitude, it makes things better. Not only that, they had a desire for evangelism, as we just sang about, rescuing the perishing. Verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. Now think about what he's saying to this church. You, would you think that a church would become less evangelistic if they knew if we go spreading this, it's going to put us into the heat. <laughs> it's going to bring attention to ourselves and it's going to cause people to be upset at us and they might run us out like they did Paul. Do you think that would make a church less evangelistic? It might with some people. It might test some people. To think, okay, spreading the gospel in this community... If it causes people to attack us or be hostile towards us, would that make you stop spreading the gospel that saves souls? Or would that make you want to turn it up? Would that help you confirm in your mind why they need this truth? I believe that's what they did. I believe they were sounding out, they believed in the message and the, the treasure of what this gospel presented to them and what it gave to them because, so they wanted to go and tell everybody. If somebody tells you, stop preaching in the name of Christ, do you say, well, okay. And, okay, I, 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 don't, I don't want anybody to get mad at me, so I guess I better quit. Or do you say, I'll go talk to the people who will listen. If this one says they're not interested, I say next and go and find those who will. But I keep trying. I keep asking and I keep inviting and I keep trying to get a Bible study. I don't just say, well, people aren't interested and they don't want to hear it today, so I better just keep it to myself and be quiet. You know, as a Christian, you can't be a hermit and be Christ-like. Jesus wasn't like that. What did he do? He went out. He told the gospel. He sent out his apostles. He sent out his disciples. And he told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You and I need to believe in the message that we're professing. And we need to believe that everybody needs to hear it because everybody's not hearing it. There are some people in our community who have not heard it in its simplicity as you and I know it. And we need to be getting that message out. Could it be said of us that we're sounding out the word? I think we're doing pretty good on that. But I want to encourage us to stay at that and do it even better. Keep improving at that. Be reminded of who you are. And that it's the message of God's word is going to save souls. 
And who's going to tell them if we don't? The rest of the world's peddling their stuff. They're spreading all their stuff. Why don't we spread God's word and make sure that we're doing the best at that? Do we have that kind of a desire for evangelism? Look at chapter 2 and verse 13. Kind of similarly, Paul brings up again how they received the word. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Paul was not preaching his own words. Neither should any other man. Somebody comes along and tries to say, you need to listen to what I say because I say it. I'm just a man. We need to listen to what God's Word says. And whenever God's Word is being presented, if it is presented accurately, you need to make sure of that, test it and search it, see whether it's so. If it is, then follow it because it's God's Word, not because... Some man is saying it. And if God's word is being presented and you don't really like it, you need to take that up with God, not with the person that's presenting it. But receive it as the word of God. These are not just words from another book. These are God's words. This is not just good literature. These are the inspired words of God. And look at chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Paul, the one thing, his prize, the thing he cared about was not recognition, wasn't popularity, He wasn't competing with any other person. You know what his treasure, what the thing that he wanted most was? was their faithfulness, them going to heaven. That's what he cared about. And he says, that's what you are to me. That's what you mean to me. You're my crown. Just like an Olympian or a a person competing in the games, they want that trophy or that, that wreath. Paul says, you're my crown. You're my prize. That's what I care about. Just like an athlete who crosses the finish line and he wins and he's got that glory and, and he's happy and there's a celebration, Paul is thinking about the faithfulness of the people he's talking to and writing to. That's what matters to him. When he crosses the finish line of life, he wants to see them on the same side with him. And then in chapter 3, verse 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Again, he's writing to brethren who are having difficulty. It's hard being a Christian in Thessalonica. But he says, don't ever let that shake your faith. Don't let the difficulties of life Cause doubts in your faith. Don't, let, don't ever doubt the love of God. And don't ever stop being faithful and working and practicing and being what you ought to be. Just because life gets a little difficult, it's just short. 
If you hold out, it'll be worth it. Whatever this life deals you, whatever you lose, whoever you lose, whatever it costs you is worth it. If you've counted the cost, then you need to know that the, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be even compared with the glory that should be revealed in us. It's going to be worth it. And so we need to think about that. I've said this before, anticipate it. When you lay down your head at night, and if it's ever difficult and you're wondering about things, what you need to do is when you close your eyes, you need to imagine the Lord saying, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You imagine that. And can you taste that? And can you imagine the Lord welcoming you home forever? That is what it's all about. Let that keep you going through whatever difficulty you ever face. And don't ever let a little difficulty for a short time cause you to backtrack. Then you let the devil win. So don't do that. And know that you've got to take a little bad with some of the good. It's just the way life is under the sun. It's not like that in heaven. But if, if you can please God when life is treating you well, can you please God whenever life is treating you not so well? Can you be as Job who said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Either way, I'm going to praise Him. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Can you say those things as Job said? Don't let these things move you or shake your faith. It's going to happen. Christians get sick. Christians have trials. Christians get tempted. Christians sometimes make mistakes. But they get back up and they try again. And they, and, and they, and they keep moving forward. Now, verse 6, for this cause, or, or now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. So Timothy goes there and he brings word back and he lets him know. Paul, Paul was worried that they had been tempted by the devil. Something's going to happen to cause them to make them a little bit weak. While Paul loved them, he still knew they were human. And so he's a little concerned about them, making sure of that. But Timothy comes back and he lets him know, Paul, they're doing well. And you know what that does for Paul? It allows him to rest a little bit. It allows him to be refreshed, knowing I didn't do all that work in... Thessalonica and go through everything I went through there for nothing. These brethren are going to stay faithful. So my time there and my efforts there are worth something. And then he says in verse 7, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distressed by your faith, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. You know, that's a lot of what life was about for Paul. 
That's what it meant for him. The number one concern of Paul was that his brethren are in heaven with him. And now, verse 10. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Paul recognized that while they've grown, they've done a lot of good things, there's still room to grow. There's always room for improvement. There's something to study and learn and learn a concept to apply. There's some thing that we need to develop in ourselves, some bad habits we need to get rid of, some good habits we need to start, some maturity that we need to grow into, getting rid of self, adding more of the Lord, caring more about brethren. And so, yes, there might be things lacking. Each of us is at our own uh, growth. Some of us have been in the faith for a while, but still need to learn some things and grow. We have some babes in Christ that we are glad that you're among us. But there's always room to grow. You never get to a point where you say, you know what, I know enough scripture, I don't need to study anymore. I don't need to work. Why do we come and do this? Why do we take the Lord's Supper every Sunday? I, I took it last week. Why do I need to take it again this week? To remind me. I, I forget. And sometimes we need these reminders. We've got room to grow. And so he says... In chapter, chapter 3, verse 10, verse 11. Now, God himself and our Father and, all, and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way into you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. He wants them, they, they show love, but he wants them to keep on showing more love. And he wants them to be holy, as he'll talk about some more. Chapter 4, verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. One of the translations, I think, says excel still more. You know, sometimes Paul would write something, and it doesn't, isn't always like a correction. Same thing. A preacher or a teacher might preach on something. And somebody might think, wait, he's saying that. He keeps bringing that up. Is there a problem that we don't know about? Is some brother or some sister doing something here? Is that why he keeps preaching on that subject? Well, don't assume that. It doesn't, if I preach on gossip, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm, I'm aware of gossip in the, in the congregation. If, if I preach on immodesty, it doesn't mean necessarily. If I preach against a sin, it doesn't necessarily mean that I am thinking of somebody specifically that's doing that. It might be that I'm trying to prevent you from going down that path. It, and things need to be taught on, even when you're not doing anything wrong, per se. You might be doing what you're supposed to do, but you need to be reminded to keep doing it and keep growing at it. So in chapter 4, verse 2, For you know that what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. 
For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, and that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. You think of your, your body. When God made Adam, what was he made out of? He made out of clay. Then he breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. Clay. What else is made out of clay? Jars. Pots. Vessels that, can, that carry things. Sometimes Paul would refer to himself as a vessel. It's a carrying instrument. Well, what are we carrying? message of God the Holy Spirit but you want that vessel to stay pure and you need to know how to control that vessel your body has desires and temptations your body wants to do things sometimes that you shouldn't be doing and so you got to be able to possess your vessel you're the ones in control of what you think what you do, where your feet go, what you say. You're the one in control of that, and you need to be in control of that. Control your tongue. Control your mind. And make sure that whatever comes out of your mouth, wherever you go, that it's wholesome and that it's pure and it's something that God would be pleased with. That's God's will. And that you don't be involved in things that God would disapprove of or things that separate you from God. Things that put the Lord on the cross. But what you need to do is you need to stick together. Realize we're on the same team. And so he tells them in verse 6 that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. Sometimes, it's sad to say, in some churches that's made up of professing Christians, that Christians start forgetting who the real enemy is, which is Satan and sin, and they start looking at each other as the enemy. And they start bickering and fighting among themselves. We're not the enemy. We're on the same team. And we don't need to be dividing. We don't need to be... Uh, having tension among ourselves or discord, we need to be together. And so we don't need to mistreat each other because we're brethren. We need to live honestly before everybody out in the community. We need to recognize that if those among us who have died in the Lord, we need to know the Lord that hasn't forgotten them. He's going to bring them with him. We can take comfort in that. That the Lord's going to come from heaven. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And what a comforting thought that is. And then in chapter 5, what we see is he, he warns them, be alert, that the Lord's coming, and when he comes, it's going to be like a thief in the night. A thief doesn't warn you, hey, I'm coming to your house at such and such time. So, better lock your doors. Better get you, your defense ready. The, the, the thief doesn't do that. It's an element of surprise. And so what the Lord is saying, that's what it's going to be like when he returns. There are going to be a lot of people who are caught off guard. And you don't need to be that. 
Because you, know, you already know ahead of time he's coming. You just need to be ready at any time so that when he comes, you'll be found ready to meet him and that you won't be ashamed. And he talks about the idea of night and day. Well, isn't it interesting? What do you do in the daytime? You work. What do people do when they do sinful things and when do they tend to do it? They do it in the dark. And why do they do that? Maybe it's a, a way to get away with it. Less likely to be seen. He says we're not people of the night. We're people of the day. So what we need to do is, is we need to be awake. Some people fall asleep at the wheel, spiritually. And he says don't do that. Be awake. Be alert. And then he gives several admonitions. I'd encourage you to read these towards the end of, of, of this letter. But there's a couple I, I, I want to just point out real briefly. Notice in chapter 5, in verse 11, he says, Comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Tie strings. Build each other up. Whatever you say, help up somebody. Encourage them. Reach out to them. Call them. Text them. You know, let them know you care. When you see them, ask them how they're doing. Pray for them. And then verse 12. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. And there, that would include elders. It would include teachers, preachers, I believe. But especially elders, because he says, those who labor among you and are over you. Why does he say be at peace among yourselves in relation to that? There are, he's not saying put these people up on a pedestal and treat them as if they're like superhuman. But he is saying, make their job easier. They watch for your souls. So honor them. Follow their lead. Follow their example. There's a reason why they are serving in the way that they are. And we've talked about elders. We've talked about it. We've prayed about it. We've discussed it. We've asked for feedback. And so what we're going to say at this point is we want to encourage you that if you believe that there are men who are qualified to serve in this way, that we would like for you to submit their names. There's a, there's a box that's going to be in the, uh, the office back here. You can put the names of the men that you believe are qualified to serve. And if you don't believe that, then state why. And you're welcome to put your name on it if you feel comfortable with that. But we would like for your feedback on these things and continue to pray that we handle this in a way that honors God that's the most important thing and I believe you want to fulfill what the Lord has said it is his design it is his will that we have shepherds and men that serve in this way and keep a good attitude that you've had I appreciate that and then he says in verse 14, there's different people that need different things. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, 
Be patient toward all men. You know, some people need a, a, a little kick in the pants sometimes. Other people, they don't need to be kicked while they're down. They need to be encouraged. They, they need to be lifted up and need to be helped. Some people are weak, and it'd be the wrong time to, uh, to rebuke them necessarily in the same way that you might another person. There are times where the Bible says rebuke some. So the other times he says they need to be encouraged. It takes wisdom to know which of those to apply. And so he's telling you which, which ones. The ones that are unruly, warn them. But the ones that are faint-hearted, ready to give up, maybe they're discouraged. You need to encourage them. Verse 16, rejoice evermore. Always think about the things you're thankful for. Count your blessings. Don't let life get you down and steal your joy. If you've got forgiveness of God, don't ever let anything steal that from you. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Does that mean you can't ever take a breath? That you're praying 24 hours while you're sleeping? That's not what he means. But he means always be praying, though. I mean, don't just pray once in a while. Don't just pray whenever we come together once a week. Don't let those be the only times you talk to God. It's a great privilege to pray. Pray all the time. But in verse 18, in everything, give thanks. Don't be like the, the nine lepers who walked away cleansed and didn't even stop to thank the Lord. If you've been cleansed, you need to constantly, when you wake up in the morning and, and whatever you're going through, don't be ungrateful. Think about all the things God does do for you. Verse 19, quench not the spirit and despise not prophesying. Whatever the spirit has given you, don't, don't resist that. Don't be like those in Acts 7 who resisted the Holy Spirit's teaching. Don't throw water on that fire. The Lord is giving you amazing things in his word and you don't need to resist it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you're living. Verse 21, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. That's a good attitude. If somebody says something, you need to say, where does the Bible say that? What's the book, chapter, and verse? If, if you can't find it and you can't put your finger on the passage, don't believe it. That's how you be the kind of mind that you need to be. Prove all things. That's a good, good mindset. That way you're not carried away in some false doctrine. And then whenever somebody has shown you from the Word, cling to that. Don't ever let it go. In verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. That means evil in all its forms. Stay away from it. Don't flirt with it. Don't get close to it. Don't think you can handle it. There's some places you need to know. Just stay clear of that. Avoid it, like the plague. Run from it. When Paul talked to them about what he meant, what they meant to him, I can't help but think, I feel a lot like that. You mean a lot to me. And I, and I, I mean that. And if you're not a part of us, we want you to be a part of us. It's real simple. Just believe that Jesus is the Christ. Repent. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Be, be faithful 
unto death. He says he'll give you a crown of life. If you're a Christian, stay faithful. And if you have sinned, forgiveness is available. And we can help you with that. You can come up to the front while we stand and as we sing.